I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. On today's episode, we take a closer look at the Netflix documentary film, Sly. I'm in the hope business, and I just hate sad endings. Sorry. Shoot me. Today, we're talking to director Tom Zimney. Destined for bit parts and supporting roles, Sylvester Stallone broke out by creating some of the most memorable characters in cinema, including Rocky and Rambo. But in a career filled with unmatched box office punch, many of Sly's films were ignored by audiences and excoriated by critics. Now an entertainment lion in winter, Stallone is ready to look back at his life and career. In the Netflix documentary film Sly, Stallone takes the gloves off to talk about his unlikely rise to fame, the ups and downs of celebrity, and his disappointments on and off the big screen. I I used to tell people, I said, don't ever watch the second half of any biography about a star. Because it's always, and here at the pinnacle, and he had the world in his hand. And then, well, stay tuned for the fall. And just a note, later in this interview, you'll hear that Tom was visited by a curious murder of crows. And I'm joined now by director Tom Zimney. Tom, welcome to You Can't Make This Up. Hello, greetings and uh, good morning. So how did this documentary come together? Was there a pursuit for Sylvester Stallone uh, for a chance to tell his story? Or is this something that he uh, wanted to do? It just all came together with Sly's team who start thinking about at this point that he was ready to tell his life story. And uh, Sly's producer at Balboa Productions, Braden Aftergood, had seen some films that I'd worked on with Bruce Springsteen and reached out to me. And that actually was the start of the dialogue with Sly and, and his team on whether you know, we could do a doc that Sly would connect to. And, and they liked this one film, Western Stars. And that was the beginning. So was Sylvester Stallone all like you expected? When this project began? I have to say that Sylvester Stallone was nothing like I expected. I didn't know what to expect <laughs> because I had this childhood understanding of him from film. And I knew a little bit about him in the press, but I was immediately blown away by the conversations we had in the very early stages because I saw a much more complex man than I understood him to be. And that was reflected in just the conversation about his work, his life. And then quickly I could see that um, this was going to be a film that would give me a chance to unpack an artist that wasn't really understood. I could just tell by that initial conversation that a lot of the things that were out there already were not giving a full picture. And I love that. That's the part of filmmaking that I love the most, which is to get past the iconic figure and get into what is driving the artist. I'm curious about how much he drove the conversation. I mean, were there areas that he particularly uh, was hoping that, you know, the film would go in that direction? Were there ground rules? Was he like, I'm an open book? I mean, how did that conversation begin? The conversation and the approach to the filmmaking was based on my initial interaction with him, which was 
standing in his house, walking around the house, walking around his office with Rocky memorabilia and Rambo memorabilia, going from one subject to another at this pace and energy that was very fast, very honest, and unpacking his life. So there were no ground rules. There was no sitting across from him in a chair with a crew staring at him. It was stepping into a space with Sly where I had a single cameraman, a room mic'd and a sound recordist and everyone else outside of the room, nowhere to be in eyesight. And me stepping onto that, that train that is Sylvester Stallone and letting him engage in conversation and me at times just challenging and questioning and conversing with a speed that gave us a freedom to go to places that go beyond sound bites, go to places that reveal sometimes the traumas and pain of childhood, get past flipping through a page and saying, well, now that we've covered Rocky, let's talk about X in your career. My father was Rambo in reality. Nothing was ever settled verbally. It was usually a physical ultimatum. The way you turn a fork, if he's eating like this, you know you're gonna get it. It was spontaneous and sly as jazz. You gotta keep up with them, you gotta get in pocket, and at the same time, know your history a little bit, but be waiting for the surprises and the mistakes that seem to work. So there are two really great framing devices for this film. And one is that Stallone is packing up his California estate to move east. So he's literally having everything packed up in his life at the moment where he's unpacking everything emotionally uh, while making this film. Was it just a coincidence that this was happening while you were shooting? One of the key relationships I had in making this was having conversations with Braden Aftergood, who works with Sly. And he would say things to me like, I was at Sly's house and he's talking about moving. I was at Sly's house and Sly unpacked a box of cassettes. That really gave me ideas on themes. And also as a filmmaker, I embrace environments as character. Sly's house wasn't just his house. It was, it was a character in the film. That he was moving was just the perfect synchronicity of telling the story in a way that you can rely on sly being amongst change movement so i i've i've learned as a filmmaker to embrace the things that are happening in the moment and this was definitely one of those gifts of the film gods where you suddenly realize they're going to be wrapping up a bust of rocky and a bust of rambo and you start to look at things differently and i imagined that this statue that was in sly's office was going to be taken down and and put into a truck. So I immediately started to look at paintings, Italian paintings of Caravaggio and and other imagery and started to imagine what would it look like with the workers taking this huge statue or so you chase what the gods throw you and and you incorporate it into your story when it works. I want to ask a little bit more about the house as a character. And it's really interesting that you should say that because I found myself thinking that that this was a really great way to get a tour of his sort of inner life without having to say, hey, can you give me a tour of your house and show me what's important to you, right? You know, he has incredible art collection, obviously, but he also does have this unbelievable set of memorabilia and a lot of statuary of Sylvester Stallone. Um, Can you just talk about that a little bit, what that meant to him? I mean, 
I couldn't help wondering, you know, if his wife was like, can't wait to move all these Sylvester Stallone's statues <laughs> to our new well, house. Well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. The house has a balance of two forces. What I saw in the house was the balance of two different forces in Sly's life, which is the iconic characters that he created, but also an understanding in the beauty of home. There's a whole side that I also tried to show, which gave you the feeling that this is a house that's lived in beyond the celebrity. Um, Mm -hmm. But the power of those icons, whether it's Rambo, the character, or Rocky, to see them in his office space and to see the leather-bound scripts and the statues and, and the years of work, to me, showed not only the deep connection he has with the work, but in, in many ways, it reflected a lifetime's journey investing in this filmmaking and writing. So it served as a purpose visually as this metaphor for change and looking at his history. But also, to me, it got past cutting to a movie clip that is sometimes colder in feeling and got into the headspace of the writer's notebook. That's what I saw the house to be. Hmm. So I want to go back to Sly's life because that ultimately is much of what this film is about. Um, he goes way back. Um, so can we talk about his parents and how they shaped him? I mean, his mother, we get a tiny little glimpse of her in the film, largely because of her absence, I think. He tells this tiny little story about her. My father told me that she just was afraid to have a kid, even though she was nine months pregnant, kept riding around on the bus, and she going into labor. Somebody's smart enough to get her off the bus, they carry her into a, a charity ward. Is that really it? I mean, is that really, is her absence sort of an influence in his life? I, I think when you're piling up all the details and you look at things in the early stages of filming, you, you gather up all the information. And, and when it comes to parents, you look at the impact that they've had on the artist's life. And for me, I felt like there had been things written about his mom. His mom was this very big character in life, but there wasn't an understanding of his father. And I felt like that he was revealing to me in the interviews, the influence of his dad throughout the body of work. And I suddenly looked at Rocky and Rambo differently, that they were reflections Mm. of his relationship with his father where he could express sometimes the joy, the, the, the frustration and the fear and the trauma of growing up in that household. One of the early conversations I had with Sly, he mentioned that Rocky's physical space that he held in the scene was a direct reference to his dad. Mm-hmm. And that was the doorway open to me uh, in many ways. It was a door that was open to me because I realized that a lot of my other films dealt with that theme of the lost father in an artist's life. And that's the doorway I went down. So that was why I had such focus with his dad as opposed to a lot of detail about his mom. Though I felt like I got the core pieces across, which was the separation of family. Right. I mean, he does do this kind of dance over and over and over again when talking about his dad. He kind of goes right up to the edge. He sort of pulls back. There's clearly a lot of pain there. He clearly sort of grapples with um, sort of memories of how his father shaped him in many ways. And he wouldn't be where he was without that shaping, but also the trauma. Did you see him sort of struggling with that dance every time you had that conversation? 
every time I had the conversation um, that went into the space of childhood, there would be a pause and a beat, and I would let him process things. I was raised by a very physical father. You know, I mean, so I was no stranger to serious pain. And I think it just became, I'm not going to break, no matter what he did. You know, I'm just not going to break. I didn't follow up with sometimes another question right away. I think he gave me the most powerful thing that you can get as a filmmaker, which is he gave me the space, the time, and the trust to let him converse about these things. And each time we brought up childhood or, or its influence in his work, uh, the film went to another level. And every time he shared with me a still or some video of his dad, the film went to, again, another level. So in some ways, he gave me a lot of freedom, but he was collaborating through these conversations and, and what he was revealing, because we were getting past sound bites and we were just getting into the space you hope to stumble upon, which is you're not even aware of camera, you're conversing, and you're not referencing questions on a page. You're just in it deep. And the sessions would go, I call them sessions. They're, they, they were that way. They would go for five hours nonstop. Mm. We would just change for the card on the camera and then go right back in it. So Sylvester Stallone talks about how he got into acting. He tried out for a part in uh, college in a play. He got the lead and then he ends up to, you know, deciding to try his hand at acting, moves to New York and talks about not, you know, being seen as a dashing leading man. And I'm looking at this old footage of him. I'm looking at footage, obviously, you know, pre Lords of Flatbush. And I am seeing an incredibly handsome leading man looking guy, but I'm looking at it through the lens of somebody who grew up watching films in the 80s and 90s and aughts and 2010s. And it made me wonder if he would have been seen differently and cast differently if he had moved to New York, perhaps in a different decade, like a la Nicolas Cage, maybe. Did he just land, you think, um, at that moment in the wrong time? I mean, obviously it ended up being the right time, ultimately, but just like slightly that that face is just so soulful, you know, like we just weren't ready for that face in that moment. When I look at the 70s Sylvester Stallone and the early roles that he had, I think there was just that typecasting that was going on, that the physicality was overruling the possibility of him being an artist with feelings. And in some ways, an artist with feelings, that's that an artist who's complex and a person who could express himself outside of like one line in a, a character role as a mugger or a thug. I just think those early days of the 70s that he was trapped in that mode. And what I love about the story was him discussing with me how he had to create his reality. No one was going to give him a chance and no one was going to give him a lead role. So he had to write that himself. And in some ways, the power of the pen suddenly became a healing force when he talked to me about that. What you have is mm -hmm. a guy who in the world can only be so seen a certain way. So what he does is he creates in his writing the idea of hope. And in that world, you get a chance to recreate 
role models that failed you in your life, whether it's your father, you create a character named Mickey who believes in you, uh, whether you have a loss of love in your life and a feeling of being connected, you create Adrian. All these things were healing qualities, I thought, for Sly in writing, but also he gave this gift to an audience, which is the gift of hope. You know, what's interesting to me is that we get hints that, you know, he didn't begin writing then. He had sort of grown up, you know, writing. That was something that I didn't realize. Do you think that's something that people will be surprised to learn was that, you know, he had been a writer kind of all along? I think the whole idea of Sly being a writer is lost on everybody. And the beauty of his work ethic in honing in and finding that dialogue for Rocky, you know, the pages upon pages of handwritten dialogue. This was a thing that I felt was lost in the understanding of Sly, the filmmaker and screenwriter. I was on a mission to try to remind people that he wrote these films and that he directed these films because I felt like the filmmaker was lost with the power of the iconic characters he created. I almost feel like the actor himself has been lost, too, because so much of the writing of Rocky and his other films also happened on the fly, like through performance, sort of realized that the rewrite needed to happen. Um, Can you talk about his acting ability, that organic acting ability and how that sort of tied with his writing ability? Because you can't do one without the other when it comes to Sylvester Stallone and his acting cannot be overlooked. The acting was amazing to go through because you see an honesty and a pain that he would achieve it, especially scenes of early scenes with Rock, the Rocky film, um, where he's interacting with Mickey. So I was just turning 30 and I said, you know, you come up here and you offer me this. Well, I'm past my prime. What prime? I'm going to sit there. I'll get an opportunity. I'm going to fall on my face. Like I thought the movie, I was going to bomb. Why couldn't you have been here when I needed you? The, the level of intensity that he was delivering in those lines with Mickey or his love with Adrian. I I had a whole new appreciation studying Sly as an actor. And by the time we get to Copland, you see it again, this level of dedication to being present in the moment in a truthful way. That's the only way I could describe it as a director where I believe in the delivery and the rhythm of those lines. I believe in those expressions. That's why when people come up to me and talk about Sly's films, much like a Bruce Springsteen song when people talk to me, it's part of their DNA because he has hit them in a place that has defined their life in some ways and encouraged them. And that all comes from that place of both his writing and his acting being honest and truthful and soulful. Hmm. Another framing device you use in the film has to do with an audio tape of an interview Stallone gave to the New York Times. Um, you show him listening to his comments on Rocky when he was a much younger man and him yelling to his past self just to say, you know, Rocky is a love story, damn it. And he and he wouldn't say it. Can you talk to me about shooting that scene? Shooting that scene was one of my favorite moments because in my conversations with Braden after good, one of the producers that really was in dialogue. He works with Slide Direct and he, he was in dialogue with me a lot on the filming. We mentioned the idea of the cassettes and and wouldn't it be great if Slide just could hear his voice and have a moment? And we, we both said, yeah, wow, that's amazing. So that when that 
scene unfolded, nothing was staged. He had no idea of that conversation. It's a simple character study of a man who, a love story. who should be cynical. It's a love he's, story. He's incapable of it. Uh, love who story. accepts life. Simply, that's his, that's his, uh, his lot in life. All of a sudden, I had this beautiful moment unfold in front of me where I was watching this older man talk to his younger self all within one shot, no editing, and also talk to his younger self about something that is a theme of the movie, which is understanding and coming to the place of accepting love in your life and hope. And that he could have that dialogue with himself in the scene. And then also I could challenge him on camera. It demonstrated to me the whole tone of the interviews. It's one of the most important moments for me in the film because it gets across so much of Sly and also, I just love that early on, you were very excited by the idea of these cassettes. And you could see in the scene, I say to Sly, do you have any of those tapes? Nothing was staged. And he literally opens a desk drawer and uh, pulls one out. And he just lands on something that was magical. I like to imagine that you as a director uh, had a cassette player in your pocket so that if you said, I have no way to play them, you could have said, well, I just happen to have one. <laughs> you know, it's to, in, in your youth of early directing, you might try those sort of things. But, you know, I've learned so much from um, my time of working with like Bruce Springsteen and things like that, where you you embrace what the, the day throws you. Oh, they're moving. Let's Let's change this idea. Like, you come prepared, but you just let the uh, film gods, I call it, throw you those those moments. Um, it's one thing to sort of make observations about yourself, you know, hearing your younger self on tape and um, reflect on yourself. It's another thing when you have other people in the industry, greats, making observations about you. And earlier this year, I talked to the director behind Arnold, <laughs> and we had um, Sly in that film talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Arnold Schwarzenegger makes an appearance in this film talking about Sly. They're all smiles here, but as I learned, there was a real rivalry between them at the peak of their careers. Um, is that something you talked at all about with Sylvester Stallone? I did. And um, the the intensity of the Arnold fight, I know has been out there in, in different forms of like talk show moments. What I loved was getting past some of the, the funny side of what Arnold had to say with Sly and their competition and get to that place where he talked about him as uh, a friend. At that point, we were like little kids. Who uses bigger knives? Who uses the biggest guns and holds them with one arm and boom, 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 boom you know, like that. And who has more muscles? Who has more muscle definition? Who has less body fat? I mean, stupid stuff that we will be fighting over. Now we look back and we laugh at the whole thing. And Sly referenced him a lot, and they were very close. Uh, they are very close now, and I'd love that part of the story that these guys who were at the height of their career have this intense battle, but as men today, as older men today, they've come to this place of connecting on family, life, the work, and also how the world sees them. They've gone past just the iconic celebrity rival thing, and our true friends it in what I what I could see. And hmm. with my interview, Arnold Schwarzenegger was able to give me so much detail, but also an understanding of how how it was back then for both of them in the spirit of 
the 80s and what they were trying to do. Yeah. I mean, what Stallone said in the other documentary was that Arnold's characters were always invincible, but his, Sly's characters are vulnerable and, you know, they get hurt. And I'm wondering, getting to know Stallone as you did, do you think that was by design, that his his lack of fear of portraying vulnerability? I think the idea of vulnerability is what makes Sly's very first film with Rocky uh, a prototype of of a character that he will chase forever. The Rocky character can survive the fight, but also have the moment of intimacy of being in bed with Adrian and just saying, I, I want to be seen. I want to be somebody. That level of character detail is also reflected in the Rambo character where he breaks down and cries. I went to get a couple of beers. The shine box was wired. The kid opened it. The Joey, it blew him all, his body all over the place. And there he is laying on the table. Where are my legs? My friend, it's all over me. It's got blood and everything. And I'm trying to hold them together. I put them together. Fucking these guys keep coming out. And nobody went out. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger's films, but I can't even imagine a character that he's portraying like that, having that sort of moment of being powerless in another man's arms, saying, this is the trauma I've been through. Sly, Sly's always had a vulnerability in in all the these characters of extreme strength and survival. And that's what makes it really interesting for me is that I started to unpack a lot of that was fulfilling the need to understand his past, his present, and his journey as an artist. So mm. the pieces of Rambo, the pieces of Rocky, uh, the sequels, they all were telling me that this was a reflection of the man's life. He made this Rocky this way because he was going through this as a celebrity. He made this Rambo this way because he was experiencing this. All of them are extensions of his chapters, present day and past thrown in. Is this why he kept returning to these characters again and again? Um, because, you know, he got a lot of work, um, but not a lot of hits outside of, you know, the Rocky movies, the Rambo movies. And he kept returning to those characters in these sequels in a career full of uh, of sequels. Is it is that why he keeps he kept returning to these characters, you think? I think he was returning to the characters to understand his own place and at the same time evolve the journey. You know, I, I do see, he said one great thing in the documentary is that he'd like to put all the films of Rocky back to back because you see the whole journey of life. And I loved that. I loved that. I thought I, you know, I thought they were Rocky sequels. I thought there were films that were isolated in time and place. This man is talking about looking at the development of these characters with that kind of arc. He's not understood, I think, as a filmmaker that way. And that was my goal, which was to get past a sort of Wikipedia checkpoint of he made this film, this happened, then this film, this film. But to look at the body of work, that it was a reflection of a lot more than the narratives that are on, a, on the surface, that he was going to a place where he was making these characters change. But also they had two common themes, and I, I end the doc with that, which is he talks about Rambo never has home and is looking for it, and that the Rocky character is always a person that's forgiving and lets people come back to him and full of grace. Those are the two forces of Sly's life. 
in many ways that he he works uh, those themes into the body of work. That's what I saw as a, a filmmaker, and that's what I was chasing. Because the the last installment of the Rambo film, he finally arrives to a place of home, and to me, that totally reflected Sly's desire to understand his child, understand who mm. he is as a person this day. The Sly's films. If you looked at them past just the surface narrative and then you listen to him talk in that office full of the memorabilia, you suddenly realize that these things were all just an extension of him unpacking a journey. So he talks about this again and again in the documentary about how, you know, heroes shouldn't die. And we see that example at the end of the Rambo series with the rocking chair scene. And, you know, initially, initially the cynical side of me is like, oh, that's really smart because then you can have sequels. But then you realize as he talks about it, it's not about that. It's not about his vanity. He describes it almost like a mystical um, theme. And can you just talk about that a little bit? Because sure. that really also seems to tie into his philosophy. I mean, the idea that heroes don't die, when he said that to me, and he talked about changing the initial Rambo ending so that the character would not be gunned out and the importance of that. And then I went back to the last installment of Rambo and I saw that he spent the time in, so that the character was perceived as still alive at the end of the film because he was so fearful of this idea of death. I so believe that we don't see our heroes die before our eyes, that there's always some mystical quality about them. That theme stuck out to me as the overall arching theme of all the films, which is the idea of hope. And he was most upset with his film Fist because the character died at the end and he lost that control. And he spent a lot of time on talk shows talking about not liking that and the importance of a character sending a message. He knew that these films from early on were sending messages and he felt he had that responsibility to extend the idea of hope. But also more importantly, what I saw in that is that every time he worked a narrative like that. It has cathartic results where someone would come up to him and say that Rocky changed his life. The Rambo film, seeing the vets in this position was really powerful. It's looking at your your past and, and putting it into the work, but then also reaping the benefits of emotionally seeing people changed in a positive way. Hmm. And that came across in our dialogue. That's why I think he held on to the idea of hope. Because it yeah. has a redemptive power in its message. And that is a, a powerful thing to go through at the level that Sly was in the 80s and the 90s and is now, where people come up and express how that choice of hope inspired them, changed them, and led them onto a direction that might not reflect anything that you got as a person, as a child in your early life. It's interesting, too. I think it's clear that he sort of has this optimism about what people will take away from his films and the success of his films. And I'm wondering about the flip side of that, because I think he watched a lot of his peers have a lot of success crossing genres, and he didn't have as much success crossing genres as we see in your documentary. Was he really disappointed about the flops that were uh, present in his career? Did that feel like more to him than it might feel to another actor as successful as he is? I think, you know, Sly came to my edit room and I had on my wall a whole list of his films from the very first to present day. And that had a big effect on the interview that day. 
because he did look at the comedies that didn't work and he had the power of the age he is now and the wisdom that he has where he looked at it as understanding your place and also if you were told you had only so many films to do would you spend your time this way like he had reflection in it and he had some humor about it it wasn't a very serious moment of it was the worst thing i could have done but at the same time what i really got from it was that he had a grasp of time that was really important and he said when you look at the body of work that way would you spend the time doing this this or this and what was i thinking that I should try this. He had a great way of looking at the body of work where there was a level of honesty where he would talk about, well, this is just pure action and I had no dialogue. People were starting to see me this way. So he wants to return to that place of character. So you've mentioned Bruce Springsteen a couple of times during our conversation, and I know that's because you've worked on projects around Bruce Springsteen, films and videos, um, and you've talked about how people talk about Springsteen and Stallone with commonality. I'm wondering if you see commonalities between the two men, Bruce Springsteen and Sylvester Stallone. I actually do see uh, a common thread of a work ethic that I just completely admire, especially when it comes down to the writing. You know, both of them would use school notebooks that are filled with pages upon pages. Sly would be dialogue and, and Bruce, it, it's lyrics. They came from the same time period in the 70s where they are using elements of their life experience and, and influences and putting that into the work. So that's how I connect to both of them. I, I just recognize a work ethic and a journey, a journey uh, as artists where you're telling a, a very long story. <laughs> And it's got many yeah. different arcs. With Bruce, I, I see that every day. So you end the film with Stallone packing up and leaving the place that he's been for so long, but we don't see where he's going. So what is next for Sylvester Stallone? I don't know, but um, I know that he's never stopped working. I think what is next is reflected in the film in some ways where that conversation is still going on. The idea of figuring out the next work to explore those themes He's always um, referencing, like, I was up all night writing when I was doing this. So I don't know the exact project of what he's doing, but I know that that artist still is on that journey. That I feel very confident about. So Tom Zimney, the documentary is Sly. Thank you for introducing us to a whole new side of Sylvester Stallone. And thank you for joining me on You Can't Make This Up to talk about it. It was a pleasure talking with you. Great talking with you. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Tom Zimney. For more of my takes, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. Each week on that show, we break down the latest in true crime documentaries, podcasts, TV shows, and pop culture. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please rate and review this show and share it with your friends. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcast app, or wherever you're listening right now. And make sure to follow the show to stay tuned for all new episodes. Our music is by Kelly Mack at Netflix Music Lab. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>